This week on WealthTrack, Nobel laureate economist Robert Schiller on home prices, stock prices, and the stories driving the economy. The, the idea that the stock market is trending upward, and maybe for good reason, there's the stay at home, uh, the working at home uh, mantra that's going around. Right. Maybe this is a fundamental change in the economy that we'll, we'll learn from what we're doing and everything will be wonderful. A conversation with Yale professor Robert Schiller is on the next Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this New Year's edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. We have a special treat for you today, an interview with Robert Schiller, a Nobel Prize-winning economist, a pioneer in the field of behavioral finance, longtime Yale professor, financial innovator, and prolific author. Among his best-selling tomes are Irrational Exuberance, published just before the tech bubble burst, Animal Spirits, which came out as the housing bubble-induced global financial crisis was unfolding, and more recently, Narrative Economics, How Stories Go Viral and Drive Major Events. Schiller's also the co-creator of the widely cited gauge of U.S. housing prices, the Case-Schiller Home Price Index, and creator of the cyclically adjusted P.E. ratio known as the CAPE ratio, which is a price-earnings ratio for the S&P 500 based on average inflation-adjusted earnings from the previous 10 years. Because it includes 10 years of earnings, many consider it to be a more reliable gauge of market value. I am honored to say Bob has also been a guest on WealthTrack since the very beginning, and we always cherish his time with us. His presence could not be more timely. He is known for identifying the tech and housing bubbles long before anyone else did, and here we are in the midst of an economy-crushing pandemic with home prices booming and stock prices hitting new records. We started with the stock market, his view of the record-setting performance. What's driving it is, has been uh, a, a mystery. Uh, and uh, it certainly has something to do with changing narratives. People can see public attitudes changing. But the problem is we haven't until recently been able to measure these narratives. or It's all kind of personal opinion. Uh, and so it's hard. Uh, and I, I have been trying to understand the narratives uh, behind this, uh, this recent stock market. Uh, boom. So I'll give you an example of a narrative that seems to be operative now. Uh, narratives have this form of stories, of human interest stories. People love human interest. Right. They don't like to look at charts and graphs and equations. Most people don't. Uh, so it has to be presented in a way like, like an advertisement, you know, a, 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 <laughs> a story about humans. So uh, one story that has been prominent I think, is the story of the previous uh, financial crisis, 2007-2009, and a particular humanized version of that about the stock market, which reached its bottom in March 2009. Now, I know, because I was doing questionnaire surveys then, that people were very much afraid of a 1929 stock market crash. That was an old narrative that was coming back. Uh, and because of the reminder of the, the recent bank failures, uh, it seemed like 1929 all over again. So there was a huge spike in concern about that. And people were afraid. A lot of them were pulling their money out of the market 
because they feared a 1929-style crash. Huh. And now they're regretting it because <laughs> it turns out it was a horrible time to put it. That was, March of 2009 was the perfect time to put your money into the market because the stock market essentially tripled after that. So uh, people are kicking themselves for making that mistake. So I think we, we had a, a depression scare between February 19th and March 23rd of this year. Right, of 2020. Yeah, connected with COVID-19. Maybe, you know, people got scared again. Right. And they, they started selling and they made the same mistake again, or it, so it seemed, uh, by March of uh, 2020. Uh, and the market started going up. So people started to think, I think this was the story. I regret so much that I didn't recognize the opportunity uh, after the market had fallen. This time, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Uh, and uh, and so they started buying. And so they get in even late. Uh, and that's what happened. Okay. Uh, but, you know, in, in, in the case of, of March of 2020, it did seem like the world was ending because government was shutting down swaths of the economy, um, you know, all over the world. So there was a reason to be concerned. I talk to Wall Street people all the time, and, you know, the stock market's considered to be a leading indicator, and it looks ahead. And so, um, you know, isn't that kind of part of the, maybe the Wall Street narrative as well, is that, look, this is the darkest day, these are the darkest days, but uh, the you know, will bounce back? As of March 2020, there was a lot of discussion about uh, epidemics, as you well know. Right. This talk turned to a, an examination of, of the situation. Uh, for one thing that people did is look at the, 2000, at the 1918 epidemic. It didn't have an obvious effect on the stock market. There was no crash. Uh, and uh, there was only a mild recession. They think this doesn't look like a classical cause of a, of a depression. The, the story that the vaccine would come and, and stop the whole thing encouraged people to think that uh, I should be in the market. Right. Uh, it, was the, it was the vaccine story. So, you know, it wasn't really crazy to be in the market. Uh, you saw it trending upward. And a rational person listening to these stories doesn't know what is the truth. It's not crazy. But it, it, it's a story that influenced people because it was being told and retold. Uh, and it led you into an emotional um, swirl. Uh, I don't want to make the mistake of buying just before the top of the market. And I don't want to stay out of the market and see it keep on going up. So there's no answer to what one should do. Uh, right. You can see the prominence of certain stories that were motivating for people to buy at this time. And certainly the work from home, uh, the fact that the tech stocks, the fangs, or, you know, including Microsoft, uh, did so well because there seemed to be clear winners um, coming out of the pandemic, right? So the pandemic surge in the U.S. stock market, which made it the most highly priced market in the world, had largely to do with the boom in the uh, information technology sector and the communication services sector. Uh, and uh, U.S. is the, uh, I think, has the highest proportion in the world of, of such stocks. That's one reason why the U.S. stock market 
is the most overpriced in the world. Ah, that's interesting. You use the word overpriced. I use so the word overpriced. Uh, that's that is a narrative, by the way. Uh huh. Asking people about uh, whether the market is overpriced or underpriced, uh, and or whether you're afraid of a crash. I've been asking that since uh, the late 1990s. So we're we're torn between those. Uh, the, the idea that the stock market is trending upward, and maybe for good reason. There's the stay-at-home, uh, the working-at-home uh, mantra that's going around. Right. Maybe this is a fundamental change in the economy that will will learn from what we're doing, and everything will be wonderful. Uh, I give some credence to that view. <laughs> you know, I can't say that any narrative is totally wrong. Mm-hmm. It's a question of how much they're emphasized in talk and in, in, the, in the news media. So, Bob, it's always a mistake to use a word like overvalued with a reporter. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I think you realize that. So let me ask you about, about that observation. How does the U.S. stock market's value look in terms of the CAPE ratio? And that, of course, is the cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio. How does it look? The CAPE ratio is at this point of time at, at, at one of its highest levels. In fact, for the United States, uh-huh. uh, for the United States, the only times when there was a higher CAPE ratio was uh, just before the 1929 crash and also just before the 2000 uh, dot-com bubble burst. Uh, so it's very high. Uh, however, uh, I've been pointing out, as of others, that uh, there is also a very high bond market. Bond yields are very low. Right. And so the idea of pulling your money out of the stock market and putting it into the bond market is not uh, so appealing, not the long-term bond market. Uh, because it yields to maturity there are, are, for the 10-year Treasury are under 1% now. Right. Uh, so the excess return that we predict between U.S. stocks and U.S. 10 years uh, treasuries uh, is something like 4%. The stock market has been an amazing performer uh, for over 100 years, uh-huh. with the exception of 1929. Right. Uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, but the, overall, it's been doing very well. It's more like 10% a year real. Uh, so it's not as good as it seemed before. Uh-huh. Uh, but but it, compared to the alternative, it's good, right? The stock market right, right. compared it's to... It's riskier, but it's good. Yeah. Right. So, so I think so, it has a place in one's portfolio. Yeah. I might add that other countries have lower CAPE ratios. The U.S. is the highest. Uh, uh, and so if you uh, want to consider stock market investing in general, it looks even better. If you diversify across nations, if you go to individual countries, uh, you can look at Russia as having just about the lowest CAPE ratio. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't want to invest in Russia for various mistrusts that they have of the Russian government. Right. Um, but it might be a good idea as part of one's portfolio uh, when, their, when their CAPE ratio is under 10 and ours is over 30, it's quite a difference. Mm-hmm. Depending on um, how speculative you want to get. 
I look at the Wall Street narratives a lot, and certainly there has been a narrative around for a long time called Tina. There is no alternative compared to the bond equivalent, which is what most people usually consider as investors. Do I invest in the bond market or the stock market? This bond market it, it is not an alternative because it's so expensive and yields are so low. Sometimes narratives are true and sometimes they're not. What is the validity, do you think, from an investment point of view of, of Tina? Uh, I, I, I think it's not all or nothing. You know that the return on the stock market is, we're not predicting it to be as high as it has historically. And it's still risky. I think it's uh, in a risky phase. Mm-hmm. But I think it's entirely reasonable to have shares in uh, U.S. Uh, stock market. And even in technology, which is uh, highly priced, uh, information technology is a uh, something that we can be patriotic about. The U.S. is a big success in this field. And the, the living at home experience is reminding us that things don't have to be done the way they've always been done. Uh, so that can cut the either way. I can encourage you to think that technology is a great stock uh, investment. Or it can make you afraid of losing your job, possibly to a robot. Or uh, these things are still on our mind. They're long ago narratives that haven't disappeared completely. Right, and as a matter of fact, that that's a narrative that you covered. I mean, really, fa- you know, in a fascinating way, uh, in your your book, Narrative Economics. <laughs> they had machine replacing jobs uh, in ancient times, uh-huh. uh, but it never seemed that provocative. Uh, until uh, the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, And now it's getting scarier. Uh, It might get scarier uh, if uh, people realize that, for example, my job is a taxi driver. That looks like it's it's a fallback job that many people take. But uh, we're getting driverless cars now, and people are working from home now, so we don't need so many of those. So people are saying, well, what's left for me? And that, that is a, a, a worry that uh, I think uh, might eventually drag the market down. Uh, at this point, I'm still in the market. I still think people should have some exposure to the U.S. market. There are narratives out there that, that are scary and that could bring the market down and uh, the economy down. Bob, are there ever times when there aren't scary narratives? Uh, well, the narratives never go, completely go away. No. And... Uh, there are times. So I'll tell you a time when uh, scary narratives were not prominent. Uh, New Year's Eve, 2000. Okay. <laughs> uh, up until that time, we had seen a whole. Uh, the news media was filled with stories about the internet and how it would change our lives, and about advanced technology. And scary narratives were still around. They just weren't in uh, prominence then. Right. And of course, you, you know, Irrational Exuberance, uh, you know, your bestseller that has had several editions came out in 2000 and basically warned about the tech bubble. Are you seeing any signs of Irrational Exuberance now in the markets? The dominant, there, there, what is really interesting is there is a dominant narrative today Then we can discuss. That narrative is Donald Trump. Uh, whether you like him or dislike him, you have to know we're all fascinated by this man. And it's it's everywhere. Now, Donald Trump himself is a capitalist, and he uh, cut taxes on uh, corporations. Uh, he believes in uh, 
making a deal. Let's make a deal. So the question is, how does that affect people's valuation of the stock market? Well, you might say it's who outnumbers who. Uh, the Trump supporters or the Trump detractors. You know, the election wasn't that yes. far off from 50-50. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I, uh, I think that his capitalist talk uh, and uh, the, uh, the, it just drew, drew national attention more toward business. The, the story about that he was pre projecting is in our minds. And it makes, even if you don't think that it ought to affect the market, you might see it affecting the market. By the way, it's not just stocks and bonds that are highly priced. This is Tina again. It's yes. also real estate. Real estate. I, of course, that's my next topic is yeah. we're in the midst of a housing boom in this country. And it's also global. I mean, real estate prices are going up kind of around the world. What is your view of what's going on uh, in the real estate markets? And again, in, in the midst of a global pandemic. See, one of the problems we face is that our professional lives are divided up into different departments. And... I just heard a, what you asked is a call to the psychiatry department. <laughs> uh, how does it affect people's, you know, buying into a, a risky stock market when it's soaring uh, is a scary, emotionally difficult thing. And how, how you feel about that depends on how you feel about your relations with others and what are they are thinking and... Uh, I, at the end of my book, I advocate focus groups yes. uh, that will try to understand their thinking better. But I think we need to get them into the hands of historians, or, or historians uh, of recent events, to try to put together why it is that there's an emotional reaction to Donald Trump, to the polarization, and to the... It, it, it may have stimulated a desire to take action now, Back to the housing boom. What's going on? We had a drop, uh, a big drop in the housing market between 2006 and 2009. Right. Uh, the home prices didn't start recovering overall until 2012. But then they've been going up at a good pace. So what's going on here? Uh, I think uh, there, there is a tendency. Uh, Tina is a good theory, actually. Yes. Uh, a tendency to overvalue all risky assets this feeling of uh, being left out, uh, that I made a mistake, I, made a, uh, I regret not buying my house earlier, uh, or my stocks, or my uh, bonds. Uh, they all, they've all done well. And it's just, it's not any more logical than that. Uh, it, it's reaffirming the, uh, when, we, when we have a rich president uh, who uh, lives in gold-plated, uh, <laughs> gold-plated fixtures around his house, uh, uh, it, it, it becomes a model even for people who don't uh, like it. His, his success books uh, emphasize living the life. You've got to live the story, uh, and it'll be true. So it's in our thinking. You, you, have to, um, you have to associate with the right people. You have to send your kids to the right schools. Uh, and... Uh, 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 be a success and live like a success. That idea uh, is coming back. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think it's behind uh, the, the housing boom as well. It's just endlessly fascinating. Um, 
So what is your advice to investors at a time like this when the the U.S. stock market is, you know, overvalued historically, where the bond market is overvalued historically, uh, where home prices have been soaring, you know, for several years? What's your advice to investors? I think one should, this sounds very lame, I think one should diversify. Mm -hmm. A lot of, that's a standard advice. But a lot of people, so people who've been, heavily in the U.S. stock market, uh, congratulations, you've done well. Absolutely. Uh, But don't let it go to your head. That's a classic investing error. And think that maybe you should rebalance, uh, maybe even go more diversified than you've been in your investing life. Because uh, it's looking like uh, stocks outside of the U.S. have much lower CAPE ratios. And so diversify internationally and across asset uh, classes. Uh, and as, as regards technology and growth stocks, uh, I still think you could be right. The U.S. Is, has been on a run, U.S. technology and growth stocks, but they're highly priced now. Uh, and maybe you could identify some that uh, are creative and adaptive to the present circumstance. I wouldn't rule it out, but I wouldn't go overwhelmingly into that either. As far as the pandemic is concerned, how much of a game changer do you think the pandemic is going to turn out to be on the way we live our lives and the way the the economy operates? Yeah, well, it does look like we're getting a vaccine. And yes. That means the epidemic will slow, at least. Uh, if, if enough people take it, it will go away. And so it will leave us, it, it could leave us feeling essentially back where we were before. On the other hand, companies have been wary of letting employees work at home. But now that employees seeing it happen, uh, they like it. It's created a new culture. And in an office place, you don't see children running through the image and, uh, when you're on a, a, some kind of uh, video connection. Right. But now we're used to seeing it. And so what's wrong with that? Uh, and maybe we don't have to dress to the hilt. Maybe we don't wear ties at home. So maybe we don't need to wear a tie at work anymore. It may get us back to fundamentals, and we may learn. uh, It may be a better world, even if not measured as better by GDP. I'm impressed that uh, people are thinking now that I ought to be able to work at home. You know, you may have roots in some part of the country or even abroad. You want to live there with your relatives or your old friends. Why should a job uproot you? anymore. And, uh, and so uh, I think that this will make the economy much more efficient. We won't have to buy as much on clothes or real estate or won't have to commute. Uh, it'll be a better world. Bob, you know, we always ask the, the final question in a WealthTrack interview, if, if there's one investment that we should all own some of or make for a long-term diversified portfolio, what would it be? And, and, and I'll just say the last time I talked to you, you did mention investing in yourself and your, in, and yeah. your education. Yeah. Um, can you give us another one? I think what I said last time also was index bonds, inflation index bonds. Uh, and uh, uh, those uh, have a negative yield now. <laughs> Are these treasury inflation protected securities, for instance, yeah. tips? Sometimes right, right. Uh, but uh, I'm, there is a worry now about uh, outbreak of inflation again uh, because of deficit spending. Uh, it doesn't seem real at all now. 
But you could put part of your portfolio into tips, even at a negative yield, because uh, they may uh, they may go up as we return to normal. Low, and that means that the price will go up. It's a good thought. It's also a contrarian thought, and that means that they're they're it's this is a good time to buy them from a diversification point of view. Uh, I tend to think in terms of aggregates <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than. Uh, I, I still think technology, even though it looks overpriced, is uh, is is a possibility. I, you know, it's not it doesn't fit into my original Cape network, uh, but uh, we have had some strong performers. Now there might be antitrust that will split these up. Uh, there are uncertainties about them, so I would you know I wouldn't go overhaul overboard on that. But uh, I think one could indulge oneself in some of those stocks. Bob Schiller, it is always such a treat to have you on Wealth Track and you know hear your latest thoughts about what you're thinking about long term and short term. So we so appreciate your sharing your time with us. It's nice to talk to you again, Consuela. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is read Narrative Economics, How Stories Go Viral and Drive Major Economic Events by Robert Schiller. A pioneer in behavioral economics, Schiller recognized years ago that stories matter. What people believe and feel influences their buying and savings decisions. Multiply the effect and economies change. Schiller relates fascinating examples about how stories, both true and false, spread and take hold. You will never view the economy in quite the same way. Well, next week, Morningstar's personal finance guru, Christine Benz, on how the pandemic has changed financial planning. In this week's extra feature, we'll ask Bob Schiller how it's changed his life. Please continue to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead a healthy profitable and productive one.